Hey everyone, welcome to our show. I'm your host Pooja and we are asking the what if question to picture a world we can help create together. If you're tuning in every week, welcome back and if you're new here, we hope we give you reasons to stay. Most of us have lived through an experience of endless textbook chapters, countless number of tests and the dreaded quarterly exams. It is sometimes normalized to an extent where we forget that human potential is not measured by the one thing you do day in and day out. In fact, every human has the ability to shine if they are presented with the opportunity to make a choice and spend time learning and practicing this choice. Regardless of where they come from, which school they study in, or how much money they have to make this choice. Anand Gopakumar tells us more about how choice-based learning has the power to fuel a child's passion and in turn help to build fundamental human skills. Yeah, so I was part of an organization called Teach for India. I did their fellowship from 2015 to 17. So fundamentally what Teach for India fellowship means is basically you are placed as a government school teacher in one of the government schools in one of the metro cities in India. So I was a government school teacher in Pune, which is a city in India. And I was there, I was working inside inside a school as a teacher for a period of two years. A lot of what we developed or what we found purpose on doing the Appendix project is from the co-founders, co-founders experience of working inside the school. Right. So I think I would like to go back like when 2015 when I started working inside the school. What we found out is most of the children that come to school do not even know why they are coming to school. Hmm. Half of the children, like almost all of the children think that if my father is a sabjiwala, I think my destiny is also to become a sabjiwala. So what is the purpose of education? So I think there is where I think the initial thoughts come in. Then we did some research on how actually education looks like in a developed country. We'll read we read and researched about the Finnish Kolak model. We read about the ITC we read and researched about the ITCSE curriculum and more advanced curriculums. We found out that in fundamentally, I think I'm just gonna step back our entire education system, which is the India's education system, is majorly built on first and second industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. It means that we were definite we are developed I will put it like that our system is developed in a way that we can put more and more people who does clerical job. Because at that time, that was the initial industrial revolution was majorly on operating that. But I think the third and fourth industrial revolution changed everything, right? So Uh once the internet came in, I think earlier I I can understand the focus was primarily on rote learning and that was needed for the world at that time. So it's irrelevant because as we all know, as we all have experienced in the past six months, everything in the world is changing at such a rapid pace and adaptability and human skills are becoming fundamental more than knowledge. Very true. And this is where I think the genesis of TAP is. The TAP genesis of TAP was to, was I think the idea was to build social emotional skills, which is basically fundamental human skills, like critical thinking, creativity, confidence, collaboration, etc. And I think we found out that the best way to build any of these intangible human skills is by asking a child what he or she wants to do. And sadly, in our Indian in our school system, nobody asks a child what he or she wants to do. Everything is being told to a child, and like it's really unfortunate because school is a time for learning, and school is a time where everyone should learn. And and the major people, major force people who learn, major students who learn the most are never asked what they want to learn. Mm-hmm. So that is how a mix of 
that's how we came out process we developed and we actually found purpose in this model of creating a choice based learning platform which gives children a chance to learn what they are passionate about and use their passion as a medium to build uh, innate human skills like creativity critical thinking confidence etc which uh-huh. can also help them succeed survive and thrive in this third and fourth industrial revolution which is the internet age so i know a little bit about how tap is implementing the model and it's doing that through four different verticals and enabling choice based learning so could you give us a little bit of a detail about how these four verticals are playing out in your uh, model currently i think when we started like developing the model of tap we went back to uh, Ho- ha- there's a harvard professor called howard gardner so he mm-hmm. had done a research on multiple intelligence how there are different ways of learning and not each child learns the same way based on that okay. we have structured our choices into into four major buckets one is visual arts performance arts technical arts and sports Visual arts mm-hmm. obviously art and craft, very like whatever can be visual. Performance arts, dance, drama, public speaking, music, technical arts is coding and electronics, mm-hmm. and sports. Sports was ultimate pursuit. So yeah. that uh, based on that was the bucketing that happened. And I think in two thousand nineteen twenty, we kind we work with in the same classroom learning model with around two thousand five hundred children and with the support of around two fifty plus volunteer mentors who help us deliver the program. And now that you've told us a little bit about the partners of TAP and who you're working with, so of course your ultimate beneficiary are the children and the communities that they form a part of. Along with the children, who are your other partners? And um, like you said, your volunteers and you know the mentors. So could you give us a little bit of an idea of how that is being implemented? So TAP implements hmm. a choice-based learning program by by use by with the help of with the support and the help of volunteer mentors who give their time mm-hmm. every week for two hours for delivering the program so with two children and the volunteers we call it learn what you love teach what you love so it's a okay. system where people who want to teach what they love these are amazing people from colleges corporate etc wants to volunteer time and is passionate about the skills and the subjects that they want to teach which is under mm-hmm. these four verticals they come and volunteer in a classroom and teach children every week for two hours for delivering the program volunteers get support with the curriculum and everything curriculum action plans trainings goals etc mm-hmm. but i think uh, majorly we have to i think the entire program is possible because of two major stakeholders one is our volunteers which which are superheroes in implementing everything and kind of spends insane amount of time in getting stuff to the children and mm-hmm. second are the schools who facilitate this arrangement because we use school we on a classroom learning model we use school as a medium to deliver our program and at the end of the day when when people come to school the school has to facilitate them to give them spaces to ensure that they are comfortable and all of those so our school principals and schools are also very like a central part of our model Based on what I have seen, thanks to the videos that you shared, and that took me on that journey uh, on exploring more of the videos that you put up on YouTube. And 
I also started realizing that this is something that you're doing as a part of continuing through the COVID period because a lot of children have had to depend on technology and uh, not all of them have access to it at the moment. So I I understood that, okay, this is probably the pivot uh, that you have made during the COVID period. So do you want to talk a little bit about how that came across and um, the ideas that came up and just the whole process that you and your team went through to get uh, all your systems up and make sure that children are learning no matter what during this entire, during this period. I think I would just go back slightly in March 2020 when the, mm-hmm. before the pandemic or the, this period started. Mm-hmm. I think we were at the peak of our impact. We were working with around 2,500 children across schools in Pune and Bombay. Uh, mm-hmm. Our impact assessment was going on. We were fairly also, the children are also preparing for their final showcase, which is a big event for them, where they showcase what they have learned to an external audience of school, community and external stakeholders. So a, a lot of stuff was going on from a very programmatic level and that's when COVID happened. Okay. I think initially after a bit of a bit of relief work, we have we understood that this is not going to go down anytime soon and more than ever, our children needed our support right now. So we have to actually think about a model where we were a 99% classroom learning model. And mm-hmm. the only way to deliver our program is to convert to a 100% online model. Uh, so this is where our team went through a lot of iterative process. This happened during the month of April, mid-April to May to understand how do, how do we can deliver the children. We tested a couple of live classes. We kept the bandwidth that the children have at the center, the device availability that the children have. More than the device, it just may be one device per family. And if it's mm-hmm. siblings, then it's even more confusing. So it's a lot of logistical and operational cons- things that we have to go through. And and through this process of multiple tasks, trying out different times, different uh, different steps, we came up with a model called mobile-based assisted self-learning model. Now, what does mobile-based assisted self-learning mean? It fundamentally means we use mobile to deliver our activities slash videos. Mm-hmm. Basically, uh, every week the child gets in their WhatsApp phone the PDF or PDF or the video of that week's activity. So that is why mm-hmm. we call it mobile-based learning. Now, uh, at this point, the children have to self-learn because there is no other option. And we, as we all know, learning has always been a together process. Yes. It has never been an alone process. Learning alone for a child is always a difficult thing. And this is where we created a model called assisted self-learning. What does assisted self-learning mean? We use our powerful mentor group who assist the children via WhatsApp-based chat to complete the activity or video that they're getting per week. So fundamentally, the child gets activities slash videos to their phone. Uh, they try to do it. And in terms, they have a doubt or they have queries or they lack motivation to complete it. There's a WhatsApp-based group which gets active on one time in a week and motivates them, plays games with them. Like it's a live live real-time group, which kind of helps them complete the course. And that that structured mentor time, we call it, which is done by a volunteer mentor. They have multiple Mm -hmm. structures to ensure that the child is able to complete the course with the help of that assistance. So that's how the pivot happened. And I think right now we are kind of looking at the other advantage of going online is the ability to reach more children is also higher. So we did the pilot, initial pilot with around 15 cities and 300 children. We shared the content with around 10,000 plus students across the country to 10 plus organizations. 
now we are looking at a larger scale project because i think the power of online is always that it's very easy to reach multiple people okay so we have spoken about the power of choices before so let's think about it with a more inclusive lens in an under-resourced community children might grow up never really knowing what they are good at never realizing their true potential or even worse never knowing their true self because they were not given a choice this is when the resilient team of tap stays grounded and true to their vision of inspiring a movement that defines inequality as nothing but the lack of opportunity come pandemic or not I think the first is obviously the programmatic win that we internally celebrated. I think the mm-hmm. idea was that it's very hard to pivot, especially our our ideas are co-curricular, right? And that is visual right. arts performance, that's coding. And the one thing that directly comes when people say online is let's do live class in a government school setting or children with slightly on the lowest uh, strata of the income. A lot of things are not mm-hmm. possible in live classes. They don't have good internet connectivity, so they will drop off. Mm. Uh, they have their bandwidth is less. They only have device available at a specific time because most mm-hmm. of their parents have the devices. They don't have the devices. So live True. classes is not an option. This is where I think I think I am very amazed. I'm very amazed and proud of the entire team for kind of getting it into a model which is very unique in its own. Where we are still delivering the model using an async method, which directly mm-hmm. the WhatsApp, and then we are using WhatsApp chat to help the query the doubt. which also means that if there is a doubt it stays in the whatsapp chat so even if the child is missing shelter still go through it so i think i'm first of all i'm very grateful and thankful grateful to the whole team to kind of making this pivot because when you make a pivot more than the work you have to change a lot of your assumptions and biases also mm-hmm. so that was one of the huge thing that we celebrated and second mm-hmm. we found we got an award from harvard social impact fellowship specifically for the online model on how the scale and impact of the online model and the relevance of this model especially during this covid time so that was also very like very very motivating so now that you've uh, reflected a little bit on your wins and you've shared that with us what have your learnings been what have your biggest learnings been and without me really having to say what are the challenges so let's let's flip it and talk about your learnings one that we mm-hmm. underestimate the power of our children like what happens for example we as adults when we were we expect the children to follow the instructions that we say in a general tone but what we always mm-hmm. forget is that when we give instructions to a fifth grader and we don't ask that fifth grader to make a choice we miss his or her perspective but more importantly a fifth grader knows exactly what he or she wants which is relevant to a fifth grader i think so i think one of the things that we have changed is when children are given a choices to do they do amazing stuff so we have children who has not been doing really well in academics create games using coding and difficult children these are all difficult children to manage but when they mm-hmm. uh, get interested in something they do wonders because they want to do it so i think that's something that we found and we kind of learned that they they should be given more power and more choices to do what they want another thing i think the challenge like in this is in the not for profit space there's a lot of equations which keeps on happening because it is a heavy human yeah. So if I'm program, but there's a lot of dependence that happens from all across. So even this mobile-based assisted self-learning, right? So right now, if I do with a middle-income child, 
the parent ensures that the child is doing it can do right. even 50% of the time but yahan pe the child has to ensure himself or herself which is a different ball game altogether so i think i think just navigating this phase has itself been a very systemic kind of learning that how do we mm-hmm. have to motivate the child parents kind of keep an eye on the child like just to let him know that okay i also know about what's happening parallelly you have to keep the school also in loop because everybody is going online so if like earlier since it was a school based model so they expect them to be also in loop and also you have a funder which is a different entity altogether which according to mm-hmm. the program so he also needs to be in the loop so i think that i think managing multiple stakeholders in itself has been a huge learning experience and majorly on how to communicate your impact to these three varied stakeholders in a way they can understand since you brought up i mean you brought this up earlier in the conversation but then i just thought of it that you were a 99% classroom learning model and that's how you started and now you have gone back to you've not gone back to but you have switched to a 100% online model looking ahead is that something you would consider continuing or do you believe that children need that in person contact and they need to be amongst their peers to grow and learn i've heard conflicting opinions on this because yes technology does increase access it does help you reach more people but then you're also taking away that you know that uh, mentorship and guidance that comes with being amongst each other keeping this context in mind what have what have you thought for tap and what are you hopeful for so i completely agree with the school of thought that says that children needs that human touch i'm not even questioning it is one of the most important things that we all need when we are growing up problem right. that happens is that he then there's always a limitation on the number of children that we can impact with the classroom right. learning model i i can maximum in 5 years go up to 25 or 30000 children and that's yeah. the best case yeah. scenario though because mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that comes in a classroom learning model because a human has to go from a position to b position and there's a lot of effort which takes in facilitating that whole process like working mm-hmm. with the government school principals government school system for getting that space to ensure that the child goes inside the class to ensure that the child learns inside the class because there are other children also so i think i would say the offline is like a can only be done at a limited scale i think that's where the scale comes in but online can get us to get that reach i would say when a scale of 0 to 5 if offline is getting a 5 out of 5 online can get a 3 3.5 out of 5 3 yeah, 3.5 they can get at a 10x scale than offline so i would right. say it is just a choice between do should i reach more children or should i not yeah a hybrid model does sound like the way forward and that i'm sure that's the case for a lot of organizations who had to make the switch and uh what are you hopeful for uh when you think about taps future although the world is changing every day but when you do look ahead uh what are you hopeful for what do you hope that taps going to so achieve so i think uh, one of the biggest thing that happened in the indian education policy is the national education policy came after mm-hmm. like 34 years the policy specifically mm-hmm. says about the focus should be on how to learn than what to learn mm-hmm. policy clearly says we should not do rote learning second the yes. policy clearly says each child is unique and ta- and we should create systems in a way that each child's ta- each child's talent is nourished and empowered to go forward and third it explicitly says about liberal arts and holistic education mm-hmm. so i think a lot of tab was speaking about with multiple stakeholders as i said telling about like if i tell about social critical and creative or confidence thing confidence to a normal person who is not a part of the education sector they won't 
understand the importance mm-hmm. of it right so it's like like yeah. if i say we need to learn problem solving what is that learn it's not a hard skill yeah. it's a soft skill yeah and what does that look like also in the classroom i think often people are not able to put that in into their frame of reference so yeah exactly. sorry go ahead so because we have never been taught how to do all of these stuff no? so mm-hmm. yeah we go back to all our schoolmates <laughs> everybody asks us to be confident even right now be confident nobody tells mm. us how to be confident yeah be confident yeah. is always like oh come be confident speak in front of others but that's just the outcome like how will i reach that journey yeah. destination so i think this is where i think again going back to the national education policy clearly articulates it which means that when i speak to all my stakeholders i can take our country's policy as the reference like i don't have to use a different narrative next couple of years once the policy starts worst getting it on the implementation stage i think we will start working on implementing the policy because it has everything that we speak for and, mm-hmm. and that is the partnership where i think where we act as knowledge partners because we have experience in delivering this since 2016 and where the policy mm-hmm. comes in the execution aspect in the schools that we work with will be a great collaboration to go forward i'm sure and that's such an interesting point that you've brought up that all this while the work that's being done by tap by tfi i mean i can i can say tfi cuz both of us have had that experience working with tfi we we knew what we were doing and we knew what we had to do in the classrooms and we had that frame of reference that this is what it means to um develop higher order capacities in our kids but when you do look at other schools who did, who who did not have such interventions um it was different not having that alignment with what other schools are doing be it your private or government schools minus the interventions and the schools which have the interventions it does you know it does confuse you at some point it does make you wonder that but this is not happening nationwide and it's only happening here only a few kids are getting this benefit so now with the nep out and so i i think what i'm basically what i'm trying to say is i like the point that you made that you have that narrative and now you can walk this journey with the country's uh, policy i like that that's my learning for today so we come to our what if question i like asking this question i say this uh, in every episode but i like asking this question because it helps us think it helps us picture a world that we can help create together so anand what if choice based learning was embedded in the academic curriculum and not just an extension of it i am from kerala in trivandrum so and i in the age of 21 i had mm-hmm. a very common like a very uh, common education but i went to a catholic school then i did engineering as everybody else mm-hmm. in the country because i didn't know what else yeah. to do right? till the age of 21 i did not know that there is an option that when i learn to go to school or go to college i can love what i do like i can genuinely like right. to learn it rather than i was majorly doing mm-hmm. because i have to do and i think choice based learning is right. not a reality i think after 21 i'll do job because i have to do a job and i think yeah. that is the biggest change when children yeah. when anybody is founds the meaning and the pleasure that okay i am choosing it and i'm liking what i do 
and in my life i have that choice i think that life will be different right that life will be happier i would put it like that because we shouldn't do stuff because we have to do yeah and that's that's been the reality for all of us right i mean all of us who have been in that space growing up learning and also then being on the other side teaching it's yeah it's it's just been that confusing reality that okay back in our school this is how we were taught and now you know we we need to start changing that and and that responsibility and that um the accountability that comes with it is is pretty significant because we do not want the next generation to develop or start thinking the the way we have been thinking all this while that needs to change and i i believe that choice based learning can really help move in that direction all right so another question that i like including in this show is about gratitude you've already mentioned a little bit about that you've already said that you're grateful to your team but what are you grateful for today anything it could be anything when we started creating mm-hmm. this model so i think the idea was to give children a chance to learn what they want to learn now the best way to get mm. is get people who want to teach what they want to teach and when you are working in a school mm-hmm. as a teacher you have absolutely no resources right there is absolutely no finances to kind of get yeah. paid them get paid people to do the job and i think that's when we started the volunteer model so we believe that consistency should be there so people should come every saturday yeah. or at that time in the school for like a period of 6 months which is a consistent every weekend engagement that's one thing the mm-hmm. second part is uh you and there'll be select we also have a selectivity person volunteering so we don't like unless a person doesn't clear the stages it we won't accept them to the process so i think when we made this rules i won't say rules when we made this criteria we were very unsure that mm-hmm. people will come <laughs> because we don't know we hmm. because when you make it in a document we don't know how it looks like for others right it has to be a selective right. volunteering there is skill based selective one is too hard to even imagine and we didn't have any references in our country at that time doing this i think now looking right. back who is a very grateful for all the people who have signed up like starting from the applications to even uh, committing their time and i think each time when they have done it i can understand that like when you commit one like when in the classroom learning model it was two hours every saturday that means that you are saying no to hundreds of stuff and i'm very grateful for mm-hmm. them for doing it like i don't know why people do it like if i a lot of people ask me the same question why do they do it i don't know to be very honest and i think very grateful for them for doing it so it's a it's an honor to kind of work with people who kind of give something without even asking anything for it we often overlook the freedom we have as adults the freedom to choose something anything for ourselves think back to a time where you were able to make a decision for yourself how did that feel isn't that a liberating a freeing experience then why not extend that power of choice and offer it to children so that they don't just stop at learning but do it with a lot more love Right, friends that's a wrap on today's episode if you would like to explore tabs fun world of choices do check them out on the social channels we are also very keen to hear from you write to us about what you like about the show or what can be done better all thoughts suggestions and feedback are welcome and valued here i'll leave the links in your episode notes 
If you've fallen behind on your Diwali gifts, you could perhaps gift your close ones the choice to listen to our show. Sneaky, I know. Until next time, stay safe and have a wonderful beginning to the festive season. And don't forget your gratitudes. Bye.